You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com. That's letstalktorah, no apostrophes, at gmail.com. And we'll try to get them onto the show. I hope you're enjoying the weather, like all good Michigan weather. Uh, last Saturday, we had eight inches of snow, then rain, then it froze. They actually plowed my neighborhood, which was quite appreciated. And my strong sons took care of shoveling uh, that really heavy snow. And I just did a little bit. Make sure I keep in shape. And, um, and now the weather is getting a little bit warmer. As a matter of fact, today's temperatures are almost the same as yesterday's temperatures in Miami Beach. So why, uh, why bother going down to Florida? We have the same weather. Well, at least for about 10 minutes. In any case... Um, lots of important things, fun things to talk about this week. Before I get to all the good stuff, um, I wanted to share. If you've ever looked at my webpage, you know there's a donate button there. And uh, the school that I'm with, Yeshiva Stachay Torah, has a wonderful raffle campaign, all kinds of prizes and, and, and grand prizes. And it would be greatly appreciated if you hit that donate button and buy one raffle ticket, two raffle tickets, five raffle tickets. It goes to a really great cause, helps all kinds of children with all kinds of needs, and it educates them, and it helps all those parents that can't afford that education that we, that we supply, and it helps all those children with all the extras that we can give, but we can only take care of those extras if people help us out. So it would be greatly appreciated. Hit that donate button, and I, I do thank you now, and I'll, of course, thank you again. Anyways... Um, this week, I wanted to get involved in an interesting question, an interesting thought. And that is, when we talk about giving our life to sanctify God's name, what does that mean? What do you mean I should give my life? Why should I choose to give my life? When should I choose to give my life? And there's actually a, a perfect example in this week's Torah portion. So let's get to it. So... Last week, Moses uh, says hello to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh, of course, increases the workload because why should he let them go? So uh, Moses will, as a messenger of God, will bring the ten plagues on the Egyptians. Seven of those plagues happen in this week's Torah portion, and three of them happen in next week's Torah portion, the final plague being the death of the firstborn. And then the Pharaoh will, will beg and plead and yell and scream and say, please get out of my country. So to, let's, we'll get into a little bit the, the overall gist of what's happening, and then we'll get into what I wanted to really focus on. So there's, there's a purpose to every plague. There's a purpose to every group of plagues. And the first three plagues have a very specific purpose. Pharaoh had said to Moses, who's God? Never heard of him. 
Now, he knows idols. Right? He knows all kinds of idols. But the concept of a God that runs everything and is, and is omnipotent and, and always there and always watching and in charge of everything, that the Pharaoh was not interested in. He doesn't want to believe that such a God exists because as soon as he believes that such a God exists, he knows the game's up and he's going to have to serve him. So the first three plagues have one single purpose, to prove there is a God. And it was all this magic stuff, this what they call kishuf, this oh, 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 necromancers, magic, whatever it is, um, that they thought, the Egyptians, that that is the end of the line. That's as far as it goes. And God's going to prove, or Mo's going to prove, that uh, there's a God and your magic can't touch him. And what you do doesn't compare. Because God will be able to change nature. The first plague is the plague of blood. So magic, even if it can make something look like blood and feel like blood and taste like blood, but it's not really blood. And the proof is that if they would make conjure that their rivers should be blood, the fish will still live. While this plague of blood, all the fish in the river are going to die because fish cannot live in blood. They can live in water. They can even live in water that looks and smells and tastes like blood as long as it's not really blood. So that first plague of, of turning the river into blood was real. So it wasn't just a magic, but God changed nature, and the water became blood. However, that is not the plague I want to spend my time on. I would like to spend my time on the second plague, the plague of frogs, which at first you know, glance seems like you know, cute and fun, but there's, there's really tremendous lessons. Obviously, the whole concept of what's going to happen in the plague, that these frogs are living all over the place and jumping into ovens and moving into people's houses, and, and the noise is amazing, and where all these frogs came from. Again, this is all changing of nature. It's not natural. Frogs don't like to travel in a hot desert country like Egypt. They live in the river. All of a sudden, that these swarms that should not even exist this amount are overflowing the riverbanks, or I'll tell you how we explain it in class— such a thing, again, is outside nature, outside magic. And this plague is just going to be loud and noisy and you can't live and you can't sleep and you can't go anywhere. And it's, it's amazing, unless you're Jewish and then it's just fun to watch. So, um, so just to get us quickly through the plague itself and then we'll talk. So it is debatable how the plague started. Different commentaries have different explanations. Um... Aaron is going to wave his stick over the river. He's going to hit the river. The Either swarms will come out. That's one possibility. Or there's an interesting question in the Hebrew language. The, the verse uses the word tzvardeya. Tzvardeya is a frog. Tzvardeim would be the plural of frogs. The problem is the verse says that tzvardeya, that a frog came out of the river. So some say, you, talk, you say one frog, it means uh, multiple frogs. That's fine. That's one explanation. And Rashi brings down a, an amazing medrash. The medrash says, one humongous frog came out. So the Egyptians said, that's it. This is the plague that Moses has been warning us about. Well, just go kill it. So they go with their baseball bats and their pitchforks and their spears, and, and they start to beat this frog. And then the frog explodes Frogs come out everywhere. And as the, as the Egyptians, as they see each frog, they, they try to squash it and they hit it with their shovels and they step on it. And every time they attempt to kill, destroy a frog, the frog doubles. 
Right, we all know the game, right? You take a penny, multiply it, multiply, 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 multiply. You got millions of frogs, billions of frogs, who knows what. And what's amazing is that the Egyptians should have realized, if the more I hit the frogs, the more they multiply, why don't I just stop? And as soon as I stop hitting all the frogs and trying to kill the frogs, they'll stop multiplying. Yeah, it'll be a lot of frogs, but okay, but there's an end. There's only so many. But the Egyptians could not stop themselves. And the reason for that is when a person gets angry, this is really just this alone is a great lesson. When a person gets angry, his brain shuts down. He, he stops thinking. So the Egyptian who should be thinking this is a bad idea does not have the ability to stop. So as a first lesson for today, if you ever get angry, and it happens, we all could get angry. If you ever get angry, you got to stop. You got to pause. You got to hit the reset button. Uh, children in my class said, go to your room, walk away, count to 10, take a deep breath. Whatever you need to do to refocus, you got to refocus because there's no way you will say anything intelligent you will or help anybody or not to stick your foot in your mouth when you're angry. You got to be able to let it simmer down or just say, I can't talk now. Now is a bad time. Come back to me in 10 minutes. And it's amazing. It is just amazing that you, you can fix what you were about to get wrong. But still not what I wanted to talk about. So these frogs are invading, and they're in the food and in the water and in the beds and, and jumping on all over them, and the noise is enormous. And um, there are even frogs jumping into the ovens and into the food, so nothing is, is cooking properly, nothing is baking properly. So Pharaoh goes to Moses during the plague and says, Moses, I, I can't handle it. You've got to end this plague. I'll let the Jewish people go. So Moses' job is to be trusting if Pharaoh says, end the plague, Moses says, we'll end the plague. Moses says to Pharaoh, when do you want the plague to end? So Pharaoh, sensing that maybe this is not really God, but maybe this is some crazy happening that Moses knew about. So he figures Moses probably wants to get rid of it right away. I'll tell him tomorrow. So as much as Pharaoh was suffering, he's willing to suffer another day just in case he can prove Moses wrong. So, uh, so Moses says, no problem, and uh, they'll be gone tomorrow. Now, they weren't really gone. What happened was they die. All the frogs die. Almost all the frogs. That's what we want to get into. Almost all the frogs die, and there's just heaps and heaps of frogs. Um, you can only imagine in the heat of Egypt, disintegrating, smelling. Who knows how they're going to make this cleanup. But that's what's left over, like a reminder, there was a plague here, don't forget. And of course, the Pharaoh will now refuse to let the Jewish people go. Now, I told you some of the frogs lived. It says that those frogs that lived made it back to the Nile River, and they survived in the Nile River. So which frogs survived? So the commentaries say the frogs that jumped into the oven were the frogs that lived. Those frogs that jumped into the oven those were the frogs that lived. All the frogs that did not jump into the oven did not live. Okay, now let's, let's put that on pause. You have all that information. We had the plague of the frogs. Some frogs chose to jump into the ovens. Most frogs, of course, did not. The frogs that jumped into the oven lived. The frogs that did not jump into the oven died. Okay, now I got to fast forward in history 
to between the first and second temple. So the, the Babylonian king was a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar basically ruled the world. He was the king of Babylonia, probably Babylonia, Persia, certainly he had conquered Israel and Syria and Egypt. And he obviously had, you know, his uh, different officers around the world. Every country is going to have their officers. So he sends a message. I want all my officers, all everybody in every country to come to my palace, and they're going to bow down to, an, to my idol, to me. There's a form of this uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and everyone's going to bow down. So the three Jewish leaders, their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they had a dilemma. It wasn't officially idol worship, but they felt that this kind of bowing down would still qualify as idol worship. And a Jew has to give up his life to not bow down to an idol. So now, they said, we have two choices. We can either stay home. There'll be thousands of people there. So they'll think we bow down. They, they think wrong. They're entitled to think wrong. We're not there. We're not bowing down. You want to mistake and think we bow down? Your problem. That's one option. Or we could go and not bow down, and they'll kill us. Those are our options. And they weren't sure what to do. So they decided on the following. They said, let's look at the frogs. We see the frogs jumped into the oven, and the frogs lived. We also should allow ourselves, they understood the punishment of not bowing down was going to throw you into a fiery furnace. So they also understood that we're not going to bow down. They're going to throw us into a fiery furnace. It could be we'll live. And they then went to Babylonia. They stood there, proud, we're not bowing down. Nebuchadnezzar had them uh, arrested, built himself a huge uh, bonfire, oven, whatever he did, had the three of them tossed in, and they all survived quite well. The fire did not touch them, didn't singe a hair on their head, clothes didn't burn, just the ropes that were binding them uh, burnt off. They live. So that's the story. So now the question becomes, what did they learn from the frogs? It can't be that they learn from the frogs that if you jump into the oven, you'll live. That's, an, I, that's what I wanted to start with today. Sanctifying God's name does not mean I assume I'll live, because big deal. So uh, I'm standing up for God because I know he's going to save me, like Abraham, and like these three, so big deal. Right? There's no, you don't show you anything great when you already know you're going to survive the fire. So what did these three learn from the frogs? It, again, it cannot be that they learned from the frogs that if you're willing to jump into the fire, that you'll live. That's not, then you get no credit for that. To get credit for sanctifying God's name is you have to expect you'll die. So what did they learn from the frog? Here's what they learned. You got billions of frogs all over Egypt. God had said, when Moses gives the warning to the Egyptians, frogs will be in your houses and in your bedrooms and in your beds and in your kneading bowls and in your ovens. Some frogs will go in the oven. Some frogs will go in the bed. Some will go in the kneading bowls. Some will go uh, in the street, wherever. So the question is like this. The frog that jumps into the oven, is he choosing to die? And the frog that's jumping on the bed, is he choosing to live? Is that what happens? That's what you and I would think, right? Oh, I'm a frog. I'd rather live. I'll go in bed. I'll go in the street. I'll go on the guy's uh, ankles or nose or who knows what. 
And the frog jumping in the oven is obviously choosing to die. Sanctify God's name, very nice, he's choosing to die. That's what you could think. But what happened in the end? The ones that jumped in the oven, they lived. The ones that did not jump in the oven died. So here's the bottom line. Choosing to jump in the oven is not choosing to live or die. Living or dying, that's happening anyways. I will live, I'll die. That has nothing to do with me. If I imagine these three, this Hanan Yishon Azariah, if we imagine that if we, if we don't go to Babylonia to bow down, we're going to live, that's a mistake. We do not really get to choose if we live or die. If we're supposed to live, we're living anyways. If we're supposed to die, we're dying anyways. So all that's left is a choice. Sanctify God's name. Don't sanctify God's name. But if you think you're choosing life or death, you're making a terrible mistake. And that's what Hananiah, Mishol, and Azariah learned from the frogs. The frogs were not choosing to live or die. Those that we learn from the ones that jumped in the oven, that you see from the frogs that jumped in the oven, that jumping in the oven is not the choice of living or dying. Jumping in the oven is the choice of, do I sanctify God's name by jumping in the oven? Or do I not sanctify God's name by jumping in the oven? So that's when we talk about sanctifying God's name, here's what we're learning. We're saying to sanctify God's name, I got to do what God wants. I'll live, I'll die. That's really up to God if I live or die. But that's not the choice I need to make. The choice I need to make is sanctify God's name or not sanctify God's name. There's my music. I hope you've enjoyed this short and sweet segment. And uh, we got to thank everybody. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team today. We have Kelsey, Angel, Stephen, Andy. Cole will be here soon. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next week, you've been listening to Rabbi Tweet Jacobson on Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.